Hey, Heat Nation! Welcome back to Heaters Gonna Heat, part of the OTG Podcast Network. I'm your host, Kyle Russell, here to bring you the latest on our favorite NBA team, and for now, the undisputed number one seed in the Eastern Conference, the Miami Heat. And that, like, has to be the story for the Miami Heat, despite all the adversity and everything we'll, we'll get into a little bit later on. The Heat stand at the top of the East, even despite have, not having a perfect week. They were close, really close, but uh, they had a 2-1 week last week. We'll start with the recaps uh, first. Just a little housekeeping real quick. Kyle Lowry was out the in, this entire last week. It listed out for personal reasons. Uh, we talked a little bit about it last week. It was the kind of thing where, uh, like, granted the Heat are pretty tight-lipped about stuff, but there's been nothing listed for, for exactly what those reasons are, which I tend to forgive the benefit of the doubt and say, okay, this must be something seriously personal. So I just hope that it's, you know, family, friends, all that are safe. And that he, whenever he's right mentally and ready to come back, and we can just get rocking and rolling and just keep the show going on. Uh, however, right before recording uh, last week's episode, a little bit after that, Tyler Hero went out with uh, COVID protocols, so he missed all of this week as well. Uh, fortunate news is he cleared those protocols and he will be back for tonight's game against the Knicks. But goes to show that Miami still couldn't catch a break last week because they were down Hero and Lowry for the entire week. Uh, but as we've discussed before, Miami is extremely deep, and they have players that are ready to step up. Vincent stepped up into the starting role for Kyle Lowry. Uh, Struess kind of took over as the six-man role for Tyler Hero, and then Robinson because Robinson became a staple in the starting lineup alongside Bam, just because those two have like really good chemistry with each other offensively. But uh, into the recaps now, we go back to last Wednesday. This is when the Miami Heat was hosting the Blazers. And in a game without Damian Lillard, I thought this would have been an easy win. Blazers, like, they definitely came out to play. But Miami still ended up getting that win, 104-92, to for what it matters against a Western Conference team that puts them 2-0 in the season series. But this uh, ended up being a much more competitive game, primarily because of Anthony Simons, who I have to apologize for. I called him a rookie last week. Turns out he's in, like, his fourth year. So that is that is my bad. I should have... Definitely should have, you know, researched that a bit more. But back to the game, Anthony Simons and C.J. McCollum were just absolutely amazing in the first half. Like, they were they were just making shots. And great offense is always going to beat great defense. But uh, through the recap real quick, Blazers, they take a quick lead. And it was a really tightly contested first quarter, a lot of back and forth. The Heat opened up the second quarter on a 14-2 run that kind of got them the lead. For, for a good bit, but the Blazers eventually pushed back. The Heat ended up only being up two at halftime. However, in a weird way, like what happened with the last game that we played against the Blazers, which was the game that Kyle Lowry got thrown out right before halftime, this time uh, it was Jimmy Butler. So to, to set the stage real quick, essentially Jimmy Butler was having a bit of an off night offensively, not really drawing fouls, and it was on a play that he did draw a foul. It was a late whistle. So he did get the foul, but Butler feeling that like he hadn't really been rewarded properly throughout the night, like really really got up in the ref's face, yelling at him about that was a foul. You know he should have called earlier. Blah blah blah. And the ref gave him a technical foul for that, which is definitely fair. Arguably he should have bust out the technical a little bit before that as well. But the moment that Jimmy Butler gets that technical, he turns around and walks away. 
And it might have been saying some stuff, but that is like quite literally what you want in a situation like that where a pay- player is losing his temper. You want that player to, as soon as they see the technical go, you know what? I screwed up. Let me turn around and walk away. That is exactly what you want to happen in, in those kinds of situations. And yet, a different referee, I guess because he heard Jimmy saying something as he was walking away, again, like, got the technical turn and walked. He has de-escalated the situation. The second ref gave him the second technical, and Jimmy Butler got ejected for the game. And what, I, I again, I will continue to argue, should not have been thrown out. That was a bullshit uh, second technical by that ref. And what has now been like a weird thing to happen twice for Miami so far this season with the, the Lowry ejection, like even that, there was some grounds of argument that that was fair. This one, nah, this one was complete bullshit, just, just straight up. Uh, but Heat still had to move on. Caleb Martin started in place of Jimmy Butler. The Blazers opened up on a 9-0 run to start the third, which kind of gave them the lead. It was really tightly contested down the stretches. The Heat started to push back. They were only down two going into the fourth. Then in the fourth quarter, they started jostling and were eventually tied at 87 with seven minutes left when Bam Adebayo, like he just took a page out of Jimmy Butler's book. Let me just be constant. Let me just keep everything flowing. And then in the fourth quarter, time to turn it on. And that's exactly what he did on both ends. He powered a 17-5 to run to finish out the game, which is how Miami ended up 104 to 92 during that run. Bam did it on both ends. Just extremely locked down defense on that end, and then offensively 10 points and an assist. And walking away from that game, Adebayo really was the story. In his second game back, after missing like about seven weeks or so, Bam Adebayo leading a fourth quarter just absolutely closed the door on the Blazers. Adebayo finished 20 points, 11 rebounds. Four assists, five steals, three blocks on 8-12 on the field, 4-7 from the free throw line, and then he just had that fourth quarter takeover. It was one of those games where, again, you, it's one of those games you walk away and it makes you wonder how high the ceiling could be for Bam. Like if, if, that's what he, if he could consistently do that kind of performance every single night, that's where, like, guaranteed all-star talking about maybe he can get into an all-NBA-level uh, player. That that was what we saw tonight. Uh, outside of Adebayo, though, uh, really, Caleb Martin was the big one that stepped up. He started in place of Jimmy Butler in the second half and had a great night himself. 26 points, 8 rebounds, 2 assists, 8 of 12 from the field, really efficient, 3 of 5 from 3s. The three-pointer is, it's not it's not like Robinson or Struess level volume, but it's still really good, like good enough volume, good consistency, uh, and seven to seven from the free throw line. So chanting a little little Jimmy Butler there, but just getting to the line and then knocking them down. Outside of those two, uh, the one thing that was of interest, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the this recap, Anthony Simons and C.J. McCollum were brutal in the first half. They had twenty points each, and despite that, uh, C.J. McCollum had like a few points in the third. And, but in the fourth, like during that tie, like uh, during the tie itself, and then after that, they only scored two points each. So whatever they had going in the first, Miami were able was able to adjust, and then they kind of cooled off a little bit as well. But between those two, they were just ice <laughs> in the fourth quarter when it mattered the most, and that was like I fu- that was something else that I saw really significant about the game. 
Uh, lastly, just to, to go over, like, I guess, shooting real quick, uh, Miami, they shot pretty well. This one, 12 of 35 from three, good for about 34%. Robinson, not too bad, three of eight. Struce, four of eight, so he had those two getting good volume and efficiency up. The real perpetrators were Vincent, one of six, uh, Guy, one of five, Kyle Guy filling in because, again, no no uh, Kyle Lowry and no Tyler Hero, so Kyle Guy had to be your backup guard off the bench. Uh, and this was a game where he kind of came back more to, to earth after his really great game in Houston. But, one, like I said, one of five here, and then P.J. Tucker, 0 of three. But it looked like he might have been battling some maybe like knee inflammation, will, which will show up in the next game against the Atlanta Hawks. But quick wrap-up of the Blazers. Uh, real impressive win, again, despite you know losing Hero the day of, already being without Lowry, and just having Bam be able to take over like that. So good win there. After that, they were at the Atlanta Hawks on Friday. This is a game, a very, really close game, that they unfortunately lost 108-110, to which means for a best-of-four season series, the uh, Heat are still up 2-1, although I don't think that one will really matter outside of uh, you know maybe just divisional for Miami or something like that. So the Hawks, third time in three episodes, uh, but going through the recap real quick, it was a good like, back-and-forth first quarter. Like we've, we've started to see more recently as teams are, I guess, maybe taking the Heat more seriously despite the injuries, or but whatever. So, yeah, Heat were down one going into the second. It was kind of close to about the first half of the second quarter, but then the Hawks started to pull away, and the Heat eventually fell down nine going into the halftime. In the third quarter, the Hawks pushed that deficit to as high as 18 before it you know, eventually settled down to about 14. The Heat went on like a little run at the end to get it a little bit closer. Uh, and then in the fourth quarter, the Heat rallied hard like seriously they kept it going they got as close as one point and then like on a really well-designed play that that got jimmy butler the ball in air right at the rim it just uh, we saw i can't remember exactly which game it was a few weeks ago but it was kind of a similar situation where you like nine times out of ten jimmy butler's gonna make that shot this was just the one time that it didn't uh but you live with that. It's like you—you you got him in a great position with a great look. It didn't go down. That really sucks. But like you were still right there. Uh, at that point, like the Hawks, they got one free throw from Trey Young that put them up two, and then a Jimmy Butler. This was like the opposite. It was like a very poorly designed play. The reason why I say it's poorly designed is it ended up with Jimmy Butler shooting a fadeaway three from the corner for the win, and. No, that's you, you get Jimmy Butler to the rim. You try to have him do like draw an and one, or at least try to get some free throws to tie it and go to overtime. Like I, I understand going going for the three for the win, but if that's your mentality, you want to get like Duncan Robinson or Max Struess, like somebody that was shooting well for you that night. So who was shooting well that night? Gabe Vincent four seven that night. Uh, Struess was not too great. Robinson though, Robinson was fantastic that night. Like try to get the ball to him instead, but it ended up being Jimmy Butler in the corner. Could, didn't like it actually hit the rim and it almost looked like it was going in, but it went out and that ended up being a one hundred eight to one ten uh, loss for the Heat. 
things of note this game. Uh, P.J. Tucker ended up only playing eight minutes in the first quarter. He left with like a left knee inflammation. The fortunate part is that it didn't seem to set him back too far. He would be back for the next game against the Lakers playing regular minutes. But in the moment for the second half, Spo actually started... Omir Yurt7 next to Bam Adebayo just to see what Yurt7 Bam minutes look like. It was a it was a little little clunky, like not quite sure. Like Bam wasn't quite sure what to do because Yurt was playing more of the screener and roll, uh, roll. Kind of a weird way to phrase that, but that that kind of that was what his role, that was his duties were was to screen and roll and stuff like that, and that's usually what Bam does on offense. So he was kind of like floating around a bit more. Almost like, kind of like what Ben Simmons does for the Sixers, where he'll kind of float around that dunker spot to maybe like the the low block area. Uh, Bam was more so in the low block area because he can actually shoot a jump shot. <laughs> but that kind of that kind of style of offense is how it looked, and uh, it only ended up lasting seven minutes. It was minus four in those minutes, so the Heat were still getting outscored. But it, you know, just something interesting to to throw out there. Eh, in what ended up being a meaningless game. Yeah, it was a really weird game overall. Trey Young had 15 free throws, which is more than the entire Heat roster had at 12. But some players that still did great in this one, Bam Adebayo, again, 21 points, 6 rebounds, 5 assists, 1 steal, 1 block. So all over, uh, 7 of 13 from the field, 7 of 7 from the free throw line, and 8 points in the fourth quarter as the Heat were rallying back. Duncan Robinson, really efficient, 19 points, one rebound, three assists on 6 of 11 from the field, but 5 of 10 from three. So got that volume and efficiency up there. Great game for Robinson. 2-3 from the free throw line. And during that, this is another reason why I was saying, like, if you want to go for the three for the win, get it to Duncan Robinson. He had 12 points in the fourth quarter, shooting 4 of 5 from three. He was lighting the Hawks up, but you I don't know, maybe credit the Hawks defense that they made sure Robinson couldn't get the ball. But I would have done I would have done whatever was needed to get Robinson that shot it if you're trying to go three for the win. Uh overall, they shot not too well. Uh 15 of 40 for three. So they were able to get 40 attempts back up even with Bam and Butler out there. Uh good for 38% though, shooting. Like Vincent, he was four of seven. Struce was only three attempts, not that great. Caleb Martin had a down one, one of five, and then Kyle Guy and okay, one of three. But again, get the ball to Duncan Robinson, although counter-argument, you shouldn't have been in that position in the first place because Jerry Butler should have nailed the shot beforehand. But weird game. Eh, it, it You have these losses happen. The, the, the moral victory there was the Heat were getting stomped, and they still pushed, got, got that game, and had that Jimmy Butler shot gone down, they probably could have won it. So you take that and you move on to the next one. Uh, I think that was kind of what the Heat were doing as well. They were looking ahead to the Los Angeles Lakers on Sunday, which is a game that they won 113-107. to And there was also a game that LeBron James was playing in now FTX Arena to what was a surprising amount of LeBron fans. Like, I'm not quite sure if... I would probably imagine it's some combination of fans that follow a specific player, which would be LeBron James, and therefore now that he is on the Lakers, that's why they wear Lakers jerseys and root for the Lakers. And then I would also imagine there's another part of that group that was just like legitimately 
Lakers fans because the Lakers fans are they're just fucking everywhere because of the amount of success the team has had and iconic players as well. Um, but the point though was is the Lakers like there were some loud cheers for Lakers fans. Like I know I've mentioned before, one of my favorite things is hearing "Let's Go Heat" chants in opposing arenas. It was it was on the receiving end of that this time where it's like, yo, this is a Heat home game. Why is everybody cheering so much? For the Lakers, like, come on. But, you know, I got to take it in turn. But, uh, like I mentioned before, P.J. Tucker was back here for full minutes. He played, like, 30-plus, looked fine. So glad to see that the knee wasn't too much of an issue there. The Heat, like, spent, to, to summarize this game, the Heat spent three quarters whipping the shit out of the Lakers and then fumbled the ball around in the fourth quarter, a la, like, L.A. Rams. Kind of shit if you if you watch the the playoff games over the weekend. But kind of like the Rams, the Heat were able to just barely not fuck up enough to still win the game. Uh, to go into a little bit more specifics real quick, he got out to a 39-25 lead in the first quarter behind Duncan Robinson. 11 of points and 3 of 5 from the field, from three-point range. So just continuing where he left off in the fourth quarter for the Hawks. In the second quarter, the Heat pushed the lead as high as 26 before it eventually kind of settled back down to about 17 points. And that kind of should have been maybe a little bit of like a red flag right there that like, yo, you're up 26 and you let off the gas and this team went on, they were able to shave nine points off of that by halftime. Regardless, he came right back out in the third quarter and said, you know what, yeah, that, that's kind of a good point. We Let's just come back out and we'll just knock it right back up to 24 points. Whatever. We can do this all day. And it did, like before, settle back down, but it only settled down to 19 the Heat went up 19 points going into the fourth quarter. They were whipping the shit out of them for three quarters. And for me, like one of the things that I was secretly hoping for uh, is that we would beat the Lakers so bad that they would fire Frank Vogel. I thought that would be like just like a good chef's kiss moment after the 2020 finals. Um, not that there's a lot of animosity towards that, but eh, whatever. Fuck them. Heat and seven if they're healthy till I die. But the fourth quarter happened. Heat were up 23 points still in the fourth quarter. So they came out and pushed it from 19 back to 23. And then they just, like, completely collapsed. Both ends. Like, they just couldn't score. They couldn't defend. Well, LeBron James is hard to defend. And, but the Heat, the 23-point lead was down to four. Down to four before Caleb Martin stole the ball, put down a dagger to put them up six, and put this game to sleep. But it was kind of like, like we saw some, we've seen some games like this. The ones that come to mind specifically are the two Utah Jazz games where the Heat spend three quarters beating the mess out of a team. And then they just barely managed to hold on because the, the clock expired. Like, like if, if this game went to overtime, you would have said, shit, the Lakers have this. Because just to come back, they have that much momentum. Fortunately, though, he did just enough to pull out the win. Again, Caleb Martin with the dagger, steal and dagger dunk. Heat win. It wasn't enough to get Vogel fired, but still a heat win. Um, big big takeaways this one. Duncan Robinson, 25 points, 5 rebounds, 3 assists, 2 steals. So it was getting active there. 8 of 13 from the field, 6 of 11 from 3-point range. So he's been having some really good shooting performances as of late. Uh, I'm going to be interested to see. I would imagine that his... So, 
October to November to December, his three-point percentage has gone up every month. I'd have to imagine it's going to be up by the end of January. Uh, so we'll take a look at that. But what was it? Six of them from three. Yeah, three or four from the free throw line. Yeah, nine points in the fourth quarter to, to help stymie the Lakers' comeback. Like the Heat scored 24 points in the fourth, nine of which came from Duncan. He was over a third of their points and was, you know, the arguably the reason they won this game because he they had just enough. Uh, Jimmy Butler though, still really great game. Twenty points, ten rebounds, twelve assists. So got the triple double on seven of eighteen from the field. So not quite as efficient. One of four from three, five of five from the free throw line, and that triple double was actually super significant because J- that gives Jimmy Butler ten triple doubles in a Miami Heat uniform. The previous record was nine. Nine triple doubles in a Heat uniform, held by LeBron James. So he beats LeBron James's triple double record with LeBron James on the court in a Heat win. I'm not sure you can ask for much better outside of like maybe making it a double digit win instead. So with that Lakers win, the Heat had a two and one week, which with some losses to some other teams, has now have Miami in the number one spot. In the East, undisputed. There's no ties. There's no, like, by percentage points, any of that. Right now, for this moment, the Heat are number one in the East. Despite an extremely difficult schedule. Uh, they're, they're, again, like, so far to this point, they've played 47 games. 21 have been at home, which, and 26 have been on the road, which that is kind of skewed because we've been so home-heavy for the last two weeks, we're about to go on a six-game road trip. So even with his as road as home heavy as he's been right now, it's about to go right back to being road dominant. In the twenty-one games at home, though, they're sixteen and five, like absolutely elite. And then the twenty-six on the road, they're fourteen and twelve. So they're still over five hundred, which is good enough. But you also look at like the quality of teams that they've played. So they've played the Grizzlies twice. So like, like let's t- take a look at some of the top seeds in the West, right? They played. They were at Golden State for one. They were at Phoenix for one. Which that Phoenix one, they whooped the shit out of them. Uh, the Golden State one, if Jimmy doesn't get injured, they maybe take that one. But whatever. They played the Grizzlies twice. They played the Jazz twice. Uh, and then out in the East. They play the Bucks. They've played them three times so far and have a two-one lead over them. They've played the Sixers twice and have one-one. They've played the Cavs. The, the Cavs is, is their black mark. They're they're down 0-2 to them, but whatever. They they you can't win them all in that regard. So Bulls are up 2-0. Nets are up 1-0. And yeah, that covers that covers all the top ones in the East. So they've played like. Uh, they played a lot of the tops of both conferences is kind of where I'm getting at. And yet, still, number one in the East. This is also despite having a plethora of injuries just all up and down the roster. So this is out of 47 games. We'll go from, we'll start with the nine players that you probably would have pegged to be the Heat's playoff rotation going into the season. And then we'll take a look how many games that they've missed from least to most. Duncan Robinson has missed three games. Not too bad. You say, okay, we're not getting, it's not too bad. Only three out of 47. P.J. Tucker, six games. All right, he's missed a, that's like a week or two at that point. Uh, Dwayne Dedman, seven games. 
cool. Kyle Lowry, eight games and counting because unfortunately he's going to be out tonight, but only counting up to what has been missed so far. Tyler Hero, nine games. Now we're getting up to like two, three weeks of, uh, out of this season so far. Uh, but Hero's back now, so great there. Then you get to the big ones. Jimmy Butler, your best player. 18 games he's been out so far with like little things here and there. The tailbone uh, was, I think, like four games or so. The The ankle in Golden State was like another four games or so. But he's been out for 18 games. That's over a third of your season so far. That's your best player gone for over a third of the season. Bam Adebayo has missed 25 games. He's missed over half of your season. That is your second best player. Then you go back to like the bench, right? You've been without Markeith Morris for 37 games. He has not played since the Jokic injury. And as of right now, he's still being kept out for, for conditioning, which to, to me is a, it's a little bit, well, he had a neck injury, so his ability to keep up with conditioning isn't like, say, what Bam had where he hurt his thumb, where it's like, all right, you don't move the hand and you're fine. Like, you can't really condition without using your back. So I can understand the, the conditioning part. Uh, but, well, he also got COVID. So he had a neck injury. Then he was trying to get back, in, back in, in shape. Then he got COVID. And now he's getting over that and just trying to get back into shape. But 37 games. This was a guy that was part of Miami's bench, like a significant part of Miami's rotation to start out the season. And still to round it out, Victor Oladipo, who has still not played a single game this year. Think back to, like, December when they they were dying for any anybody that they could put on the court uh, or even like the end of December when it got to the point that they were going out there and signing Kyle Guy like Oladipo still wasn't quite ready yet unfortunately to play that but the go to show is you look at those nine players and it is just they have injuries up and down and still despite all those players in and out and that includes some of your best players, like your two best players, Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo, missing significant time, over a third and over half of the season, respectively. Still, Miami Heat, number one in the Eastern Conference. 30-17 and 17 record, fourth in the league. So this isn't like a case of like, oh, just bad East like we were used to in the, in the aughts and the 2010s. No, this is the fourth best team in the entire league, weathering a really tough schedule and all those injuries. And they've done so, as you would, as those that follow the Heat know, they've done that by having an extremely deep bench with, that they've made through scouting and development. Like, players that they've picked up from the G League or players that they have scouted overseas or have picked up that other teams were just ready to give up on. The four big ones that come to mind are Gabe Vincent, who has become Miami's backup point guard. He fills in when Kyle Lowry is not... He's been filling in for Kyle Lowry when he's not there. He has shown, like... The, the thing that comes to mind whenever I think of Gabe Vincent is I think back a few years ago to Roddy Magruder, who was nicknamed the Scavenger. Because that dude fought for every single every single possession. He would pick you up full court. If there's a loose ball, he's jumping on it. He's scavenging. That's how he got the nickname. Uh, Gabe Vincent reminds me of like a 2.0 version of that. Like Magruder was still a limited player, 
Vincent is, I feel, a better player, but is in that same mold of Gabe Vincent's going to pick you up full court. Gabe Vincent's going to dive for loose balls. Gabe Vincent's going to scavenge and do whatever whatever is asked of him to win the game. And so that's why I say Gabe Vincent has stepped up for the Miami Heat. Also, Max Struess, who has become kind of like, reminds me of what Duncan Robinson was the you know back in the 2019-2020 season, where he's kind of this... You know, he can pretty much play the two through four, kind of a positionless, just run around, high energy sniper. And though I don't think he is as good a shooter as Duncan Robinson, just like kind of in general, I do think he's a more confident shooter than Robinson, if that makes sense. Like, I don't think I've ever seen Max Struess take a shot where he it didn't have the body language of just like, yeah, I got this, this is good. Duncan Robinson, you can see it sometimes like, I'm trying to force this. Come on, please. I need one to go down. But uh, Struess, just to, to, to again kind of go back to that comparison, he essentially gives you a backup Duncan Robinson. And if Duncan can play, then you can just have Struess come off the bench whenever Duncan doesn't want to play, or you play them both together. Like, we're in the three-point era. More shooters is better. Max Struess gives the Heat another high-volume, high-efficiency shooter in the same mold as Duncan Robinson just with maybe a bit more athleticism. So Max Drews has stepped up for the Miami Heat. Arguably the biggest surprise for me, Caleb Martin has stepped up for the Miami Heat as pretty much like an athletic 3 and D wing, you know, can he does can do a little bit of everything. That's been like the biggest surprise to me. So you say, hey, can you fill in for what Jimmy Butler does, which is like be a two-way player that scores on one end and defense point of the attack, or some of the bigger wings on the other end. And Kmart's like, sure. Oh, yeah, by the way, I'll also, you know, poke out a steal, and I'll get, like, some good highlight dunks going for you as well. And, oh, yeah, also has a pretty solid three-point shot. Like, the the more he plays, the more he shows. And the, the, this, this is a dude that started out the season with, like, maybe he'll get some minutes if there's injuries. And now the question is, can this guy be part of your playoff rotation? But... Yeah, Caleb Martin has tremendously stepped up. Maybe the one that has stepped up the most out of this group. But I would be bad if I did not also mention Omir Yurt Seven, who you know stepped up when both Deadman and uh, Akpala and Tucker and Adebayo went down, and then showed that not that this dude can play in the NBA. Uh, how high the ceiling? Yeah, but the floor seems to be an NBA player, like especially as a glass cleaner and potentially a budding facilitator. Like, he, during the last few games where Bam came out, he was starting to rack up multiple assist games to, to like, the tune of five assists or eight assists. I know one of them, he had, like, an eight-assist game. Um, I think that, yeah, I think that was the Blazers one when Kyle Lowry ran down because he had to, somebody had to step up for the playmaking. Point, though, is the floor for this guy, it seems NBA player, he stepped up when Miami needed um, somebody to play the big, to play center, and as far as I understand, he's graciously accepted that he's now going back to what was more of a development, a breaking class of emergency role. But still, I feel good knowing that if something happens to dead men, or unfortunately, bam, hopefully nothing happens. But if it does, your seven can step in and can at least do something positive for the Heat. And that's tremendous just for, for any NBA rookie on a championship level team. But those four... Uh, yeah, with those four and the nine that I already mentioned, that's where we got to. I talked about this on a previous episode. 
that Miami can go 13 deep with players that have legitimate arguments for playing minutes, which, you know, it's it's, it's, its own kind of problem, but is probably the biggest reason why the not only is it that depth, but also the fact that we have Coach Spolstra um, orchestrating that and moving the players around and, and getting them to, to try different roles and succeed in them. That's why Miami's at the num- at the top of the East right now, despite still not even getting to show their best, I would argue. And the reason why I say that, if you were to ask who the top four players on the Miami Heat are, you're gonna and who would probably be in like a closing lineup in the playoffs, it's gonna be Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Kyle Lowry, Tyler Hero, and then like those are gonna be the four that I expect in the closing lineup for pretty much every playoff series, barring some sort of really wacky scenario. Uh, and then that fifth spot is kind of like where, you know, you just depend on the matchup or who's got the hot hand or something like that. But those four, don't think there's much argument that those four are going to be out there. And those four have only played 13 games together. Like, there's, the Heat have only had 13 games this year where all four players have suited up for them. And lineups that have all the all four of those players only total 57 minutes for the season, a little over a game. It has been since November that they've had all four suited up for them for the same game because Bam was out all December and January. And right when he came back was when Lowry, the, whatever this personal thing, started for him. So they've, they have not had all four of those players since November, and they've still climbed to the top of the East. But I know on the one hand, it's like, well, isn't that bad because that means they're injury prone, yada, yada. Sure. Counter arguments. They haven't had those four and they're the number one team in the East. Like that's their floor. Imagine when they get the four of them together, what their ceiling could be. Like to me, title, title contender. That's the ceiling. But zooming out and just kind of looking at the totality of it, uh, I am going to, once again, and more in-depth, make the pitch for Eric Spolstra to be in the Coach of the Year conversation. And what I did was I went through and I just looked at a, at a few different uh, betting sites just because like people that put money on this kind of stuff typically do much better analyses. So if you look at four or five of them, you can kind of get it. You can get an idea of who are the players in coach of the year. And so far there's a, actually kind of a consensus top five for coach of the year, which Spolstra is not one of them. And yeah, let's, let's poke some holes in some of the arguments for these top five and where Spolstra, I will try to argue done a better job. So first on that list, uh, Steve Kerr and golden state. So for this, Steve Kerr's already won coach of the year once. Like, Spolstra has not. Spolstra's had a much longer, arguably equal-level career and has had to deal with equal-level stuff that Kerr has. But Kerr, uh, sorry, won one. He did win it for the 73-win season, so that's I mean, that's kind of fair. But I would say because he's already won one, like, you already got it, man. We got to reward Spo for this. Plus, Steve Kerr is working with what is an already established dynasty level core with Clay Thompson, uh, Steph Curry, and Draymond Green. So, like, how much of the success is it for him versus those players that 
have, I mean, Clay has been out for a good part of the year and just came back. Draymond Green is now out, um, but he's had Steph all year. He's had his best player all year. So how much of that success can be attributed to those players instead? And then also, already again, factoring that Curry's already won one. Meanwhile, for Spolstra, he does not have an established dynasty-level core, uh, which I would say the core would be defined as those four best players I mentioned earlier, Hero, Lowry, um, Butler, and Adebayo. They have not won multiple championships, so we don't know if they're quite necessarily a dynasty-level core. And also, again, Butler and Bam have missed significant amount of time, while Lowry... Yeah, actually, all four have missed significant amounts of time with Butler and Adebayo missing even more significant. So for that, I'd say Spolster's done a better job than Steve Kerr. Next on the list, J.B. Bickerstaff in Cleveland. This one, this one's actually pretty easy. J.B. Bickerstaff was the coach for the Cleveland Cavaliers last year, and they were an absolute disaster. Sure, they got Jared Allen at the uh, in a trade, which is now part of their core at the moment, and they already had Darius Garland, but those two weren't doing shit for Cleveland. They were at the bottom of the East last year. And what changed for Cleveland was not J.B. Bickerstaff all of a sudden becoming coach of the year level coach. It was the Cavs drafting drafting Evan Mobley and getting Laurie Markkinen and leaning into this kind of like taller lineup, but that is mainly built around their new best player, Evan Mobley. So, yes... Uh, Bickerstaff deserves some of the credit for putting the players in the, in the right roles, but he's had that core of Garland, Allen, and Mobley relatively healthy all season. And again, like everything that about them that make that makes them run to this level is because of Mobley, not because of Bick, not as much because of Bickerstaff. At least not to the to the point again compared to say an Eric Spolstra who has been missing his two best players for significant amounts of the season and is just stitching lineups together and still has a better record than that team. After Bickerstaff keeping up with the East, Billy Donovan in Chicago. This one I also feel pretty similar uh, a bit to to Bickerstaff in Cleveland. The Bulls, they made a really good push last year, and they they were kind of up in the stands, but they fell apart right right around the trade deadline. Actually, no, after the trade deadline, because they traded for Vucevic, and it didn't work, and they fell out of the play-in tournament last year. And so what, what did they do? Did Billy Donovan all of a sudden become this super high-level coach that figured out how to re- reorganize the roster? No, they went out in free agency, and they completely changed the core by bringing in Lonzo Ball, Alex Caruso, and most significantly, DeMar DeRozan, who's been playing at an MVP level. And again, like with Bickerstaff, there is some credit to be given when you are putting these players in these roles to succeed at this point. However... I'd argue just as much, if not more, credit goes to having those players there in the first place. And since some of those players have been out, the Bulls have been three, they've won three out of their last ten uh, since, you know, some of them have started to get injured. Which, for Miami, they lost some of their best players from their core, and they just kept on winning. And now, Miami still has a better record than Chicago. And these teams are trending in different directions, unfortunately. But I say that all to say, I don't think Billy Donovan has done a better job coaching than Eric Spolstra has this year. And I don't think that's really that debatable. The last two, I will say, have legitimate arguments. Uh, First, but I I still say Spolstra's done better. Uh, First is Monty Williams in Phoenix. 
So this is the team that is far and away the best team in the league right now. Like they have, they have I think it's like a three to three and a half game gap on second place in the league, which is the Warriors. So really successful team. However, they were really successful last year already. So we're keeping that going. And the big reason they were considered successful last year, again, in, in good part to Monty Williams, but in just as much, if not more part, to the arrival of Chris Paul and Jay Crowder. It's one of those, again, like, they changed the core in significant ways. To sure, I, I, I didn't bring this up yet, but there is an argument to be made that Miami also did change their core by bringing in Kyle Lowry. However, that is not as significant a core change as, like, bringing in Chris Paul or DeMar DeRozan. Like, that is bringing in someone that is either your new best player or your new second best player. Lowry came in and was like, all right, this is going to be our third best player. And I, I still think he is our third best player, but Heroes can make a case that he could be the third best and Lowry would be the fourth. So that's why I say it's not as significant a change. Um, and then that's also then including, oh, yeah, by the way, those number one and twos have missed a significant amount of time. Um, but for Monty Williams, the counter arguments I would say is he's had, he has Chris Paul. They were already at near the top of the conference last year, so it's more of a continuity of being really great. You also having one of the best floor generals out there in Chris Paul for all the games, and also Mikhail Bridges pretty much as well. The only ones that have missed a significant amount of time, Devin Booker, he's missed seven games or so. Meh. Miami has, has what, seven games. He's missed as much as Dwayne Dedman versus... We've missed Lowry, Hero, Butler, Adebayo more in more games than um, Devin Booker. De- they have been without Aiton for, for a significant amount of time, 28 and 46. And they did have a no-loss November. So I understand the argument for Monty Williams. I still think that he has not had as difficult... Like he, has, he has had all the success, but he has not had as much difficulty as Eric Spolster has, whereas Spolster has both success and difficulty. And last on the list, uh, Taylor Jenkins out in Memphis. And this is also one I think he he can make a good case for. Um, the counter-arguments against... So t- Taylor Jenkins, coach of the Grizzlies. If you don't know for the Grizzlies, they have been on an absolute tear. They went from, like, around the play-in, around the time John Morant got injured in the late November-ish, to solidly the third-best team in the league. Like, they actually have a better record than Miami by a game or two right now. So, yeah, Grizzlies, way more success than anybody thought that they would have. But what I would argue against Taylor Jenkins is, is this as much about, you know, him being a good coach and getting those players, or is it also about John Morant stepping up and being, like, a clear all-star to, like, good case for all-NBA-type player? Like, the Heat, as much as I love the Heat, and... Sorry, counter-argument, John Morant did miss a, a good amount of time, and they still won without them. But still, there's a difference when between like missing John Morant for 10 games versus Jimmy Butler for 18 and Adebayo for 25. Uh, and then counter that, John Morant's going to make the All-Star game. And might have a like by the end of the year, I would not be surprised to see him on All-NBA either. Like, I haven't looked at All-NBA at all, to be honest. But... Off the top of my head, I wouldn't be surprised if he's on there. For the Heat, like, Jimmy Butler might get selected, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Heat don't have any All-Stars. 
the ones that would have a case for it have missed too much time. And like Adebayo and Butler have missed a ton of time. And Hero is not quite there either. And Lowry, uh, he did not quite there either. Um, might be able to get Jimmy Butler to All-NBA by the end of the season. Might, but I would say John Morant has a better chance of being All-NBA versus Jimmy Butler. So still, I say that uh, Taylor Jenkins, like, like Monty Williams, those two have had more success than Spo. That is true. But they have not had to do it under the degree of difficulty that Spo has had with losing half the roster in December. And then when you get that half back, losing the other half and having to go 13 deep into your roster and still win games and still have the number one in the East for the moment. So, yeah. Spo, like, the, the other three that I mentioned, Billy Donovan, Bickerstaff, and Kerr, I wouldn't be surprised if those three drop out and Spo starts to trend up into that, like, third spot. And then I think it will be a three, three-man three race between Monty Williams, Taylor Jenkins, and Eric Spolstra. And if the Heat finish with the number one seed, I think you have to give it to Spolstra for, for both degree of difficulty, amount of success, and then just the career achievement that Spolstra, despite being the second hot, longest tenured head coach in the league, has not won Coach of the Year when he's clearly been deserving of it uh, if you look at the totality of his career. So to wrap up this episode, uh, so I've already gone 45 minutes in, uh, we'll take a quick look at the standings and then just some of the stuff uh, as we look ahead for the next week for the Miami Heat. So as I mentioned before, Heat currently first in the East, although it is still a very tightly contested race. That's why I always try to preface it like for now, um, because the two through six seed is is our teams that are only half a game to two games back of the Heat. So all six of these, like, the, they can still shuffle as we finish uh, the rest of the season. But two through six are in order of Bulls, Nets, Bucks, Cavs, Sixers. So that same group as before. The only real differences from last week are the Charlotte Hornets, who have started to pull away a little bit from that 7-11 to 11 group. The Hornets currently are four and a half games back of the Heat for the seventh seed. And yeah, they're just kind of by themselves because there's a game and a half gap between the Hornets and the 8 through 11 seeds, which cover everything from six games back to seven and a half games back of the Heat. This group is the Raptors, Celtics, Wizards, and Knicks. So, man, the Wizards fell hard. Uh, and the Knicks still on the outside looking in. So, yeah, only major difference outside of the Heat being undisputed is the Hornets starting to separate themselves a little bit. But looking ahead now, uh, the Heat will be finishing up a four-game homestand this week. And then they're going to start a six-game road trip, which is, it was originally supposed to be a five-game road trip, but if you remember right near, I was like end of December, beginning of January, I think this end of December technically, uh, they had a game against the Spurs that got postponed because the Heat couldn't field enough players. So that game has uh, got moved to the beginning of February for this road trip. So now that makes it a six-game road trip. The good part about this is this is the last major, I would say, like, last, like, really big road trip for the Heat for, like, the entire season. After this, there is one three-game road trip at the end of March. And then all their other road games are either one or two road games, like, like very, like, half a week at most to, to even, like, a few days. So their last major road challenge is coming up, and then after that, it should just kind of be smooth sailing. 
Uh, they, the Heat are still going to be without Kyle Lowry as far as tonight. Uh, again, listen for personal reasons. But Tyler Hero is back. He cleared protocols yesterday, and we're happy to have him back. The Heat will be hosting the New York Knicks tonight. This is a New York Knicks team that is 23-25, and 25, which is good for 11th in the East. So on the outside looking in, this will be the first of a three-game season series against the Knicks. Hopefully, I mean, it. the season series shouldn't matter. I mean, they're at 11th, we're at first. Hopefully it doesn't matter. Um, but it's good to be the Knicks, you know, little 90s, Knicks versus Heat, good times. Uh, let's see. So for the Knicks, this is game two or three for a road trip for them. They were at the Cavs on Monday, so... Yeah, they had Tuesday off. Like we've had Monday and Tuesday off, so both will come in rested. For significant injuries for the Knicks, they are going to be without Derrick Rose, um, which is significant for them scoring wise. Because now the only threat I feel for for Miami, like on the defensive end for Miami, is just dropping the random scrub Heat killer legend Evan Fournier. Which uh, I ever had a, a friend that boots for the magic and he's like oh man evan fournier eh, i don't mind missing him i'm like dude you should you should just look up the stat lines when fournier plays the heat it's it's kind of like malik monk it's like there's a vendetta or something but yeah that's why i put down for the notes just stop random scrub heat killer legend evan fournier um nobody else really on the knicks scare me offensively defensively uh the knicks seem like they have a good interior defense so yeah just drive and kick spray um pick up a solid win this shouldn't be this should not be a contest this is an opportunity for for miami to you know rack up what will hopefully be an easy win then on friday they're going to host the los angeles clippers this is a clippers team that's currently 24 and 25 which puts them ninth in the west since they're in the west we only play them twice we lost that first game i think that was the overtime game no, this that was the night after the the overtime game with the Lakers, um, yeah, and then we played the Clippers the next night. Yep, but yeah, we lost that one. But it's West, so it's whatever. This is game six of eight for a really long road trip for the Clippers. They'll be at the Magic on Wednesday, so about the same amount of time as the Heat. But they'll have been on the road for a significant amount of time, so they might be starting to feel it by the time they play us. Also, this is a team that is without their two best players in Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. So significantly easier team. Um, on like defensively, no one scares no one scares me at all. So the thing that I put down here is just don't fall into the trap. When you have a if you have a team that nobody scares you, you can kind of get too lax. And then that's where you get like the random scrub heat killers going off on you. So just this this is not a team that should be scary and make sure that you make them not look scary, if that makes sense. Um, offensively just try to get to some of the mid-range. Like the, the Clippers did a good, do a good job of limiting threes and shots at the rim. So, you know, you got Jimmy Butler, you got Bam Adebayo, you got Tyler Hero. Go to the mid-range. That, that's what the three of them are pretty good at. Um, but I do think this will be a solid win for Miami. Just because, again, it's a Clippers team that is going to come in a little bit tired off a long road trip and doesn't really have the top-level talent to, to really scare you, so long as you take them seriously. Where things get a little bit tricky is the following day, Saturday, where the Heat will host the Heat will host the Toronto Raptors to finish off their homestand. This is a Raptors team that's currently twenty three and twenty two, has them eighth in the East. So far, the Heat are ahead one zero in a best of four series, 
And if the Raptors were to go, like the Raptors are one of the fringe teams where that season series could matter. This is game two of three that's on the road for the Raptors. However, the Raptors will have last played on Wednesday at Chicago. So tonight they'll be off Thursday, Friday. So they'll be pretty well rested for the Heat on Saturday. Whereas the Heat will have the Clippers on Friday. And sure, it is at home, but they'll have to have played on Friday and then do a back-to-back on Saturday. So I would say big rest advantage for the Raptors there. Um, also adding into that, this could be good or bad. Uh, the Currently for the Raptors, both Van Vliet and Scotty Barnes are questionable tonight. That's two of their best players. So on the one hand, that might mean that something's bad for, for them and maybe they don't play Saturday. On the other, they could just rest tonight, and those two would be extremely well-rested for a Saturday game. So I'm going to assume that they still play, um, and they'll just be extremely well-rested. So for defense for Miami, stop Van Vliet, uh, and then limit fast-break opportunities. This uh, We saw it in that first game. This Raptors team likes to get out and transition. They're all really long, so they you know get their hands in the passing lanes. That's another thing for, for the offensive and for Miami watch out for their length when passing. Like, find better passing angles because this Raptors teams love to get a hand in there and then get out on the fast break. So it's like a, a defense-to-offense style. So if you focus on the offensive end, you can limit their fast break opportunities on the defensive end. And then just try to shoot some more threes. Uh, try to pull them out a bit more because that's going to open those lanes a bit more. But really with the, the rest advantage... And then the opportunity for, for the Raptors to kind of like just kind of chill and game plan for the Heat. I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Heat lose this one. I I actually think that this might go in the Raptors' favor, honestly. Just just trying to look at like they, they would value this win enough that they would take Thursday and Friday to prep for it. Whereas the Heat will not have that ability because they're playing the Clippers Friday. I hope I'm wrong, but again, I wouldn't be surprised if the, the Heat lose this game to the Raptors. Then the last game before our next episode will be at the Celtics on Monday. This is the start of the six-game road trip. The Celtics team is currently 25-24. and 24. They're ninth in the East. Um, we played them three times. We lost our first game. It was like a game where Miami had no offense near the start of the season. But that was quite a while ago. Uh, regardless, this will be the Celtics' first game back home for them. They'll be at the Pelicans on Saturday. So no real rest advantage, but they'll... Maybe we can try to like get in there and get them as they're getting back adjusted to home. And so we can also kick off our road trip with a win. Uh, they're a healthy team, so there's not really like any significant injuries uh, at the time of recording. So for defense, stop Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Like this, this is a Celtics team. The offense is pretty much propped up on those two going one-on-one. And yeah, stop that. And offensively, I don't really think they're going to do much of anything. Uh, offensively for the Heat, just, I don't know, see if you can get Williams in foul trouble. He seems like their best rim protector right now. So you got Jimmy Butler, you got Bam Adebayo, see if you can get him in foul trouble, and then see if you can try to just crush him in the paint. Uh, but looking at it, I think this is a solid, uh, yeah, I'd still say they think it's a solid win for Miami. I think they, I wouldn't be surprised if they lose Saturday against the Raptors, and then come back and go, all right, let's bounce back Monday against the Celtics and kick off this road trip with a win. 
Uh, but that'll be all for this week's episode. Please be sure to follow the pod at Twitter at Heaters Heating or myself at KBR Heat Nation. I'm trying to be more active on my personal one, the Heat Nation one. But also be sure to check out the other great pods we have at OTG Basketball on Twitter or OTGBasketball.com. Some really good ones for like general NBA content or other teams that you might be interested in. But I will be back next week. So until then, stay heating and have a good one, Heat Nation.